The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The one-two pitch, ball line to Yout, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air... Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history. Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well, and it's gone! Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. The Brewers are moving on on a base hit by Nigel Morgan. Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up, get up, get out of here and go for Yelich. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. I'm me. Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers on the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. Adam, uh, spoke to you last week. We talked about David Stearns uh, stepping down as the president of baseball operations for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, we were a little annoyed that Mark Adonazio did not speak at that press conference. But lo and behold, later that day, they found Mark. They found Mark via Zoom, and he said a whole lot of nothing. Before we get into that and talk a little bit about some questions we got, talk a little bit about the World Series, Adam, how is it going? I want to also preface this by saying you sent me a message the other day that uh, that I wholeheartedly agreed with. That You said, I miss the Milwaukee Brewers. This podcast started as a, as a themed podcast, as, a guy learning how to love a baseball team and another guy learning how to love baseball. And now it's just a podcast about two guys who, you know, live and breathe the Milwaukee Brewers. And right now they're, they're just not in our lives. Yeah. And it, as you will remember, no one else will, because I think you were the only person that was really getting shared with outside of our friend, Jordan Tresky at the time. Uh, when I first started watching the Brewers, which was in the, the postseason last year, when they were playing against the Atlanta Braves, 
Uh, I got very, very invested in a hurry. I lived and died with every pitch of that series, and that involved more dying than it did living. And I found that really tough because it was this new thing that I was quite excited and interested and engaged in. And then, of course, it's over immediately, and I have a long wait um, and a lockout even adding to that before the Brewers came back and I got to experience a full Brewers season. But yeah, I genuinely, I miss watching the Brewers play baseball. And I know all of the things that come with that. I know that's kind of wishing for something that the moment it would come back, I, I could within a few days be like, this team is torturing me and why did I want this back? Um, I do think part of it, and we talked about it quite a lot throughout the season though, is for all of the pitfalls of the weaknesses that might exist in terms of the roster um this is a really quite likable group of guys who i just like watching watch playing baseball and just rooting for like kind of to a man there's not really anyone on the team that i was like oh that guy i i want to see them fail which of course on any team you support that's not generally the way you feel but i think everyone will get what I'm saying is that you have favorites, you have, oh, well, I want this guy in this slot and I want them to have this kind of role. With the Brewers, as much as there'd be preferences and as much as Craig could make lineup decisions that would frustrate you from one day to the next, I never found it tough to really root for guys individually on the team. So I think that as a collective made them much more lovable in spite of all of their flaws. Um, so yeah, I genuinely miss the Milwaukee Brewers right now. Much like a, a podcast, uh, the baseball team becomes your friends over the course of a season. I think that's how it felt for us with these Brewers, Rowdy Tellez, Willie Adamas, uh, our two favorites, two likable guys. You've got, you know, a veteran presence in Christian Yelich, uh, who's, you know, Still a great personality in the locker room, even when his performance isn't uh, up to the MVP levels of the past. Elite pitching like Burns and Woodruff. Uh, so, yeah, just a team that's fun to watch day in and day out. Now we don't have that. The World Series is still going on. 3-2 leading the series for the Houston Astros, who seem to have taken control uh, over the red-hot Phillies. Um, but first, we'll start with... Uh, the Brewers uh, beat writers finding Adonazio and him zooming in to give his take and thoughts on Stern stepping down one bit of clarification um, from the last episode. And I think this is some clarification that a lot of people uh, had to, had to do after that press conference is even though Matt Arnold is now uh, leading the baseball ops department for the Milwaukee Brewers, his job title will still remain general manager so just a little nuance to that change there but the brewers found adonazio and or the brewers uh writers found adonazio he zoomed in gave his take and uh i guess i'd love to to get your thoughts because i don't i don't think he added too much more information to the story and it doesn't really change my feelings on anything kind of come out feeling the same way that i did uh last week if anything, he actually muddied some waters a little bit more. I came out of seeing his quotes wondering, did he not watch the 
press conference that Stearns and Arnold had given to just make sure everyone was on brand of messaging. Um, I think the the very weirdly constructed sentence um, that probably got a lot of attention was when Adonazio was asked about, you know, well, if, if for example, uh, I don't know, let's say a New York Mets, for the sake of argument, were to come in and try to uh, approach David Stearns, try to hire him away from the Brewers, would that be something that you'd have discussions about? Would you be seeking compensation? And Adonazio's response was, the arrangement does not anticipate that, which arrangements are not sentient beings, so I don't think they tend to anticipate anything. But it sounded that... like someone discussing the terms of their open marriage is what it sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I, I just, it, that also kind of goes against some of what Stearns had talked about. Because Stearns had suggested that, you know, well, we have, we've spoken honestly about what would happen. Um, he wasn't giving too many details. He wasn't being particularly forthcoming about it, which is no surprise. That is very much David Stearns' personality and brand as a public face of a baseball team. Um, but he did answer a question of a similar vein by saying, look, that is a conversation that Mark and I have had and we we have an understanding as to how things will play out if if that comes about, if something comes around like that. Um, which is one of the few only times where Stern's kind of deviated away from his own kind of scripts, which, as we touched on last episode, is kind of weird and tough to get a handle on what exactly is going on there. It might really just be that he's just wants a break to do other things, but he wasn't giving us anything on that either. Um so that was the that seemed to be like the headline quote. I think one because it's a pretty weird quote, but two, it wasn't exactly in unison with what Stearns had said about their understanding. I think things that were aligned is that as you said, look, they had spoken about extensions, um, maybe not in a completely formal way, because that doesn't seem to be the way the relationship was, is a very long running relationship, uh, where they talk regularly and they talk through all things. It seems to be that Stearns' future is something that came up a lot and Stearns himself said like he never made any secret of his plans and it was something he discussed a lot with Adonazio. Um, just not a whole lot here though for fans to grab onto and have any real fate in what's going to happen next. And I know a lot of owners are like that and that can be how it is. Um I do also know, though, there are times where it's important for owners to be a little bit bolder and to be a little bit more transparent and forthright. This is definitely one of them. Like, you can't talk about, oh, well, you know, David's been here for so long. We have such a strong working relationship. And I think one of the things that Adonazio detailed was that, you know, he deals with hundreds of executives every day, every week through his work at a hedge fund. And over the years, he's met very few who are as impressive as David Stearns is. Um, like, I I just think all of this was not handled very well by the Brewers. Don't announce the news at a time when Adonazio cannot be there and sit in between Arnold and Stearns in a press conference and everyone can hear from them. He, they, they like, he, 
even just how this was presented and we touched on this last week on where it aired and the way the brewers did not seem to be going out of their way to make it as readily available as publicly available as immediately available as possible for all of their fans that does not sit well with me um it does not take the whole thing as seriously as they probably should and particularly off the back of a disappointing finish to a season and missing the playoffs so he didn't say a whole lot that was new or interesting but i don't really like how this was handled i just think it's not exactly giving the kind of respect that is due to your fans like these were press conferences that were very much treated as if you know oh we've got to go and talk to the media which the reason you go and talk to the media is because that is they are the conduit for your fans to understand your reasoning your messaging what's happening from here that's your outlet for communication and the brewers seem to very literally take this as well let's just talk with the press let's not really worry about the outreach or imagine that it goes beyond that and that's a little disappointing and a little concerning too. Um, prior to this, we touched on last week, like a lot of things could change with Arnold. Maybe he'll be a much different communicator in the number one seat and he'll possibly be more open, more transparent, be more direct. Who knows? He could be exactly like Stearns. We could hear even less from him. He could give even less away. Um, but this was... It felt like there was a real rush to get this announcement out there. And with how the Brewers just kind of the news dropped and it's like there's a press conference just about to happen and it's not going to be just here on our Twitter or YouTube or or on any local TV um, on Bally Sports Wisconsin in particular who carry all their games. You'd think they'd have it. And it's in the middle of the playoffs there's a little bit of a feeling of this was kind of buried because particularly if Stearns is not just jumping immediately, which so far he hasn't, what was the, what was the urgency to do it in this way and to have kind of a, a follow-up zoom availability with Adonazio as opposed to him, let alone just addressing questions on Stearns, but I think giving Arnold kind of a fair shake in what his big moment is, which is, be there and introduce your new top executive like and tell everyone why you think he is the right guy like let's not do that separately like be there in the room and let's have that happen so look a lot of a uh, lot of stuff up in the air going on from Adonazio I've no doubt very busy man increasingly busy in a sporting sense but this was a very important thing related to the Brewers that I would have liked them all to just get on the same page with do we think any of those investments uh, will be enough to, you know, fund a free agency acquisition this offseason? Or did he, did he provide a status update on, you know, how his portfolio is looking? Um, do, I does, he want, more... does he want to do that? Like, we don't, we don't actually talk about this. I don't think we've really ever had this conversation. And I'm only at a point where now I have, okay, I've seen him do multiple interviews on, say, Bally Sports Wisconsin in-game over the course of the season when he's at a game. Uh, seen a couple of press conferences, read some quotes, still in the starting to get a feel from FaZe. And he says, like everyone says, oh, you know, our goal is to win a World Series. Is it really? Like, should we actually believe that? Or is his goal just to be the owner of a sports team and to, yeah, try and keep it competitive and he'd love to look into a World Series? Like, in both words and actions, I'm not convinced that this guy is, like, 
I am going to go crazy if I don't win a World Series with this team. It's not driving him like you see plenty of other owners driven by it. And sure, the kind of people who generally fall into that kind of, uh, by all accounts, sounds like Steve Cohen is kind of in that mold. If you want to go to the NBA, someone like Steve Ballmer, we're talking about people with much greater wealth at their disposal. But aside from that, there is a single-minded focus on their team and a drive that... I don't know. Like, I, it's possible I'm being completely unfair to him, and I'll admit that. But I don't actually know. Like, I couldn't say with conviction. Yeah, I do really believe that he goes to bed at night and he's often thinking, God, I want to win a World Series. Where can we find the money from to get the key signing? Like, I think it's more just, okay, let this thing wash its own hands. Sure, we'll find that much this offseason, that much the next offseason, but that's our standard and we see what that brings us. Am I being unfair or do you do you see reason to believe no no he actually is very much kind of hell bent on making sure he wins a world series as an owner? Um I don't think you're necessarily being un- unfair because it's I mean it's all speculation, right? And someone that has that many business interests and is it just like Steve Cohen on Twitter, just like talking about roster moves and talking about being excited for the playoffs or going to play the Braves in the division race. So someone that's not publicly putting it out there all the time, you can only speculate about how much they actually care. And to your point, I think he does uh, like, you know, they set budget constraints, obviously like any owner is going to do. And then he just says, all right, go make baseball decisions. I mean, he, the comment he made was, um, at one point so, so the way i look at it is you have a pilot and a co-pilot and now the co-pilot is sliding over to the lead pilot seat he knows how to fi- fly the plane i'm excited to see what he brings i don't know how the sausage is made i just know it was pretty good so that's him kind of just being like shoving responsibility off onto baseball ops and being like yeah i just give him the keys and, and let him run with it so i think it's not unfair for you to, to speculate that um and i mean but looking at like, what were they in payroll last year? Um, it w- it wasn't in the top half of the league, I don't think. I, th- I think it was around, like, 1918. Um, so, that's not – I'm not saying they should have a top five payroll because that doesn't make sense for a market like Milwaukee. But during this run – They were 24th. 24th? Yeah. Wow. Um, that's worse than I thought. That's That's – insane is that is that with, uh, apologies like, that that may be projection for this season One okay second. yeah that's i think that's probably with everything that's coming off the books going you are you're right not Nin- 19th okay cool still lower than it should be when you've got corbin burns and brandon woodruff and Freddie peralta on, under uh, team friendly contracts this is a period where you should be making as many all-in moves as you can so for that reason i would say that that this team going into 2022 did not have a top at least half of baseball payroll. Uh, that would be my indication that it's not the ultimate goal. It's the bites of the apple goal. It's like, how do we thread this needle of not spending a ton of money and getting into the playoffs and hopefully getting hot? That, I think that's where that's the top priority for this organization. And they told it, told us it at the, uh, the uh, trade deadline. But, but I, I, I think more... it's, I think it's entirely possible, right? for him to be completely open like uh, no one is no one needs him to be the richest owner in baseball 
and to go to the kind of levels that we're seeing other owners capable of or other franchises capable of doing. But uh, like, is any Brewer fan going to have a problem with an owner who says, comes out, for example, after what is a disappointing finish to a season, a team that's been a consistent playoff team, a team that we are being told they have World Series ambitions and they feel like that's achievable. So you miss the playoffs completely and you have some pretty significant breakdowns in what you're doing. Now, you've got all sorts of questions on the horizon in terms of extensions for your star players, uh, both pitchers and the position player in Willie Adamez, if you want to go that route too. And like, why can't why can't he come out and be like, look, we we can't spend with the Dodgers, the Yankees of this world. Everyone knows that. That's fine. But we are going to do everything we can to go above and beyond what we usually do because we were aware we took a step back last year and we want to make sure that does not happen again next year. Like, maybe that is, again, not a whole lot more than what the Andrew McCutcheon money was last year. Like, it's not really going to move the needle. But the lack of intent there and even the framing of it, because we made fun of it and Brewers fans did all last season, this idea of, you know, Andrew McCutcheon was available and we just couldn't say no and we went and found that money in the budget. Like, that is not a very smart way to spin signing Andrew McCutcheon as your big signing to a fan base in 2022. And that's part of it for me, which is like, how much does that materially change the optics, how he frames or the the actual performance, how he frames that? Not a lot, but it does change the optics. And part of why that's important, it's not just for keeping people like us who don't matter at all happy. Uh, I don't. I will say don't matter at all because we are fans and I would like to think that the fans should matter a whole lot and they generally do. But one of the stories of this brewery season is that basically the moves the team made at the deadline spooked the locker room, spooked the clubhouse because the guys are like, okay, uh, well, my next contract's going to be coming up soon. Am I getting traded too? Or even if I'm getting kept, is everyone else who's remotely good around me going to be traded because we're not going to be keeping them? So the ability to reframe that and to be like, look, the situation is as it is. We're not going to be a top 10 payroll team. But when the need arises, whether that's the opportunity is right there for us to take it or we've taken a step back, we want to make sure that doesn't become permanent. I will do everything in my power and I'll be open and honest about this is as much as we can do, but we're doing it to make the roster better. Like, I think that goes a long way and it's not just in managing fan expectations, keeping fans engaged, which he should care about. Look at, look at Amfam late last season. And that's something he certainly doesn't need to see next season. But I do also think that is sending a message to your players. So that is part of where I'm growing increasingly uneasy because I don't even think the, the logic of how Adonazio was spinning the way his ownership is kind of operating is best serving the fans, the team, or himself. At that point, what are we doing? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What are we doing? I guess we'll... uh have a whole off season to speculate on what that eventually looks like. Looks like I got more information uh, from the Milwaukee Brewers micro brew podcast done by uh, J.R. Radcliffe and Kurt Hogan, the Milwaukee journal Sentinel. Uh, one thing that was much discussed after the trade deadline last year was that the communication from the front office about the, what and the why of the hater trade was poor uh, according to, I think it was Hogue that made the comment uh, on that episode. Matt Arnold is very well respected uh, in the clubhouse, goes on a lot of the road trips and has great relationships with the players. So I think that's one positive to look at here. And uh, and that's, yeah, that then that was my big issue with the press conferences because I told you like it was a perfect opportunity for positive spin and celebrating a guy who, despite the title not changing, has reached the the peak of what every every uh kid playing mlb the show growing up making trades in their franchise league aspires to lead a baseball operations uh department for a major league baseball team and matt arnold's now getting to do that so i think it could have been spun into a cool story like to hear that he's uh really well regarded in the clubhouse i think in rebuilding trusts from last year, that's huge. Obviously, you know, the Eric Lauer comments uh, towards the uh, middle to the end of the season uh, were very, uh, were very interesting as uh, things that Lorenzo Cain said after uh, his time with the Brewers ended. Uh, it seemed like there just is something to be rebuilt there. And if Matt Arnold's the guy to do it, that's great. Um, I do have one thing on that, which it is literally a scene in Moneyball, but it is something that, I mean, I, I do think is pretty real and applies to sports teams across the board. If Matt Arnold has a good relationship in the clubhouse, it kind of feels like he probably should have been the guy last year who was breaking the news uh, because Stern's having a level of distance is maybe understandable, but that is also something too within... I guess this, the change in structure by Arnold being general manager, he's still going to be the top decision maker, but not having the same organizational structure you had before, where there was a president of baseball operations ahead of him. It's kind of what is the trickle down? How exactly are they going to delineate that? Because it's easier as, I mean, he, okay, he's technically in the same role. He's now just the top decision maker, but if we want to call him assistant for the sake of argument here, it's easier in the number two role to manage those good relationships. And it's in the interest of your job where that gets a lot tougher when you're in the top seat. So I'd like to say, I agree with that, but I also, 
I didn't really get the vibes that the relationship with Stearns and the players was bad. It just, it seems like they just didn't own or communicate on that one big move, which I guess part of what that suggests is, well, Stearns wasn't as finely attuned to the vibes and Hayter's importance to the clubhouse. But then part of that too, like I don't think he just made the decision. He tells Matt Arnold, we're trading Josh Hayter. And Matt Arnold's like, it's the first I've heard of it. We've we've never talked through <laughs> this. Like, surely within the organization, that that conversation has passed through multiple people. At some point, someone must have brought up, how do we think this will affect all the other guys? Or so I'm I'm gonna row behind you on this because I like the optimism of it and I I'm excited for Brewers baseball. I want to think of the optimistic kind of turnaround, but I I don't know how much stock I should put into it, even though I will to, to be well it's you know, it's a to be positive. It's a pebble in a creek ultimately in the things that matter in the 2023 Brewers season. It's better than him having a poor relationship oh, for sure. sure. But but it's also true that Matt Arnold's voice of influence has been a huge one in Brewers decision making for the last few years. So now it's just him going to the, the very uh, best seat at the head of the table um, as the apples are served. Uh, maybe he doesn't like so that, apples. Maybe that's, it's turned maybe, everything around. Maybe the apples are off the menu now. We're, we're eating uh, cherry pie or something instead of apple pie at, at Thanksgiving. Um, Milwaukee Brewers minority owner, Giannis Antetokounmpo, has been um, talking a lot about it peaches and bananas oh. they're the secret to his start this season he said he's really enjoying peaches and bananas so adam have you ever had a peach cop no never it's a very american thing that i've always mm. it's there in popular culture but i've never had one well you know when you come to this side of the world we'll make you a peach cobbler with some whipped cream uh vegan whipped cream um I guess we should move on to some of the questions and talking points we got from our, our lovely listeners. Does that sound like a, a good time for that transition? Or you got something else on your mind about Adonazio and the front office at large? Uh, no, let's leave that for a little bit longer. Cause what we're going to do is uh, something which you've been talking about for a while that you thought was an interesting, interesting experiment or way to kind oh, of yeah. view what the brewers are doing and how they may continue to approach things and that is to i guess it's specifically framed by the world series right now but you can even zoom out a little bit further to the other teams who made deep runs in the playoffs and look at how they're built like what is their what is their strategy on an organizational level and what can the brewers take from that yeah so these playoffs on the National League side were kind of a shit show and were a really uh, big, big proponent of bites of the apple. But I will push back on that a little bit when we get into the midst of everything. Uh, this is a playoffs where the Phillies just sneak in ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers by a game, really two games because of the tiebreaker, and uh, then find themselves in the World Series against the Houston Astros. First, they had to um, def defeat the St. Louis Cardinals in the Wild Card Series. Uh, then they defeated the 101-win Atlanta Braves. 
the San Diego Padres, another wild card team, defeated the 101 win uh, New York Mets in the wild card series, and then they defeated baseball's best team, the Dodgers. So you've got two teams that were in the wild card game uh, or wild card series making the National League Championship Series. It was chalk in the American League as you get the Houston Astros facing off against the New York Yankees. So the Padres and the Phillies specifically are interesting talking points because, you know, they just barely snuck into the playoffs. They got hot at the right time, and now they found themselves in the NLCS and the Phillies find themselves in the World Series. So that lends a lot of credence to the just get in and see if you can win theory. I mean, the Braves winning the World Series last year after underperforming in the regular season and getting the benefit of having a bad division so they get in the playoffs. The Washington Nationals in 2019, as Brewers fans will remember because of that wild card game against the Brewers, uh, they get in, win the wild card game, make a run, go to the World Series. All that's true, but I think a lot of what this Phillies and Padres team are indicators of are teams that did get in and get hot, but they were also rewarded for going all as all in as they could when they saw a window of opportunity. The Padres making the trades for Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Josh Hader. The Phillies had an offseason where they they had a you know they had a theory. We've got this uh, great pitching and Aaron Nola. <coughs> excuse me, there, there it was. Uh, Zach Wheeler, uh, and you know, you've got Bryce Harper on a long term deal, promising guys like Alec Baum. Let's shore things up in the lineup and just be a team that does defense really matter? Who knows? We're gonna hit bombs. Sign Kyle Schwarber, a guy that would have been a great fit for that DH role for the Brewers. Uh, signed at Cassianos that, um, deals looking less good considering his performance in the regular season, but he's had some moments in the playoffs and. And then also they made deals around the deadline to varying degrees of success. They get David Robertson for the bullpen. They get Noah Syndergaard for the rotation. And it's a bites at the Apple success. But what it really is to me is teams seeing a window, seeing that they're just on the cusp of becoming something and then building their rosters to the point that when they, they get into the playoffs, they have the firepower to match up against the good teams. And, with the Phillies, it really is that lineup. And uh, Schwarber, Harper, Real Muto is even an example. A few seasons ago, they make a trade for Real Muto. They sign him to an extension. They just uh, they made the right moves at the right time so that when faced with an opportunity to go against the best of the best in the playoffs, it wasn't just a disparate matchup where, oh, this is a wildcard team that has no chance, um, <laughs> like a lot of the – uh, American League series turned out to be, and you know they're fourth and fifth in pay in payroll in baseball. The the, the Phillies and the Padres, the Astros are um, were ninth this year. Um, the Yankees were third. So every team that made the Final Four were top ten payroll team. Yeah, so bites of the bites of the apples are three of them. Three of them top five, and I was even because I was just while you were talking there, I was having a look. Only two teams outside of like the top 10 made the division series even which is the guardians and the mariners yep and even the astros being nine is kind of like the astros are an established juggernaut for a number of years now where that even feels like something that is not representative of oh well you could just get your payroll today i mean 
as much as the Brewers could convince themselves that there's a way in, and there is a way in, and you could go and do it, it does seem that that is still, like, the odds are so much, so greatly diminished uh, compared to your competition with that kind of approach. And it's not going to change. Like, the Brewers, um, even under a different owner, would be very unlikely to end up spending like the Mets or the Dodgers or the Yankees. They are based in Milwaukee, and the chances of an owner coming in and taking that approach is very unlikely. But I just want them to spend like the Cardinals. That's all I ask. <laughs> yeah, but and that's even like that's within their division last year. I mean, the Brewers are the third highest spenders. So that's tough. It helps that the Cubs are kind of a joke. Um, so it doesn't matter that they're spending the most in the division. But well, the Cubs are a team that at a certain point went all in for a World Series and then it worked. Yeah, they, and that's fair enough too. So, and it's a lot easier to live with a lot of the ups and downs of an aftermath of that when you actually just go and you get yourself the championship. So, yeah, I don't know. the Zooming out like that and the way, I mean, yeah, maybe we'd feel great if the Guardians had got all the way to the World Series, or like, or maybe that would be actually bad news because they were third lowest in payroll in Major League Baseball. Uh, and Mark could be like, "Hold on, man, I could, I could half my payroll and make the World Series." I think the the Guardians just surprised their front office and ownership with how soon that they reached this point. So it's, I, I, they were like shocked into not making moves and obviously i think this this was a team in cleveland i don't i don't think they were expecting to come even close to this success with this payroll this was supposed to be a down year and then all of a sudden they're just in the playoffs pushing the yankees to five games so yeah uh them making a run would have been interesting ultimately uh was not to be after vanquishing uh the tampa bay rays who were another team with a very low payroll um, but yeah, what so the, I think, can, it's... I, can I ask you generally on, cause it's kind of related to this too. Uh, I, I have not been watching playoff baseball largely because it has coincided with the return of the books and that is taking up, uh, all of my late night attention right now is <laughs> where do you fall on what seems like the annual thing that as a non fan in the past, I have observed of the kind of panic of how many people are watching the playoffs? Does anyone care? Is there any interest in the World Series? Like, this is obviously uh, a conversation that takes place year-round at baseball. It's kind of an ongoing crisis that the sport finds itself in, but it really kicks up a notch when you get to the playoffs. And on the one hand, I don't think Phillies-Astros is like the series that Rob Manfred would have drawn up as the dream scenario. But on the other, I mean, I think the playoffs has generally given them, like even in talking about the top payroll teams, that's giving you a lot of the stars. Like a lot of the teams you would have liked are kind of as close to as you could bank on. We're advancing to deep in the playoffs and creating what by all accounts has been a pretty entertaining few weeks of baseball with some really great series. And you've had some good stories. Um, The Phillies kind of amongst that too. Where do you fall on just this coming back around the next year, the fact that we'll come back around again? Does it really matter? Do people need to just embrace the fact that those who are watching are viewing good baseball and enjoying it? 
and understand well the best the best possible way to introduce new people is to maybe shout from the rooftops about how great it is rather than publicly fret about the fact that nobody cares anymore. Yeah, I've never once cared about a TV rating in the World Series. If it comes to impact this sport in the way that it'll no longer be at the level that it's at now, maybe I'll care. But I think Rob Manfred said this, I think, last postseason when he was being an idiot about some other topic that I won't bring up. But baseball, to a degree, is, I think, now largely a regionalized sport. So people in Philadelphia really care about this World Series. People in do they care about it in Houston? They've just been there so often now. All, always in the World Series, always in the ALCS. Do they care? Uh, uh, I guess uh, to tomorrow's crowd and potentially a Game 7 Sunday crowd uh, will be the indicator of that. But, yeah, at a national level, you have the guys like me that follow baseball religiously and will watch random teams in the playoffs no matter who it is. But it's just... I don't, and you've I don't got, even you've think got me like and I'm probably representative of a lot of baseball fans now where, yeah, I have my team I watch. But am I watching beyond that? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's I mean, oh, this is going to be a tough comparison. Uh, it's a a lot of people follow baseball the way I follow MLS. Well, it's like if my team's not in the playoffs, is it even happening? Uh, whereas in football and the NBA, you've got people locking in for i i don't know about the nba this is this like the thing i find interesting with this is this is the same anxiety when the bucks end up playing the suns in the nba finals and everyone was trying to grapple with the fact that it was milwaukee and phoenix and i'm certainly biased and i'm sure most people listening are biased to the fact that well that was a really exciting finals in terms of matchup wise in terms of the players involved it didn't lack star power um but it also you may be even better positioned to speak to this because you were more of a neutral i wouldn't say strictly a neutral in that series but you were at least slightly more detached that was one of the better finals in recent years and i remember the anxiety around it of people like oh but are people watching which like at a certain point, I think that applies for every sport that is not NFL in America. It's always going to come around. And also, I don't like Phoenix is a pretty big market. Like Houston and Philadelphia World Series is not like this complete disaster in terms yeah. of market size and in terms of interest. But it, it does feel like to some degree, all this is coded to the point where it's like, like, if it's not an L.A. or a New York team, you know, does anyone care? Which I I think people care. I just I always find it interesting, but I don't think it achieves anything either that this comes around every year. It should just be like, let's really sell people how great the Philly story is, how wild the city of Philadelphia is going for this team. Like, that's how you get people to turn on a game of the World Series and be like, yeah, I'll watch this tonight. Not being like... Have you heard that nobody is watching this anymore? Like, how does that get someone you to turn it on? The fact that you're saying, well, the interest is not here in this anymore. I think baseball's done a pretty poor job in general of marketing their marketable players over years. I, I mean, th- this World Series should be all about, like, I mean, now it's looking looking less like that because it. I, I think Houston's probably going to take one of these last two and the, the big... Uh, uh, evil villain's going to win, but 
I mean, Bryce Harper living up to every expectation people had of him when he was drafted and was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as as like uh, an amateur player, and then coming in last year in Philly, he's he's been made out to be a villain a lot of his career. Wins an MVP in 2015 with just an absolutely absurd season, and then went healthy, still puts up great years. Years where he has like an 882 OPS and people are talking about like, oh, that's a down year for Bryce Harper. Then comes out in 2021, wins another MVP, this time with Philadelphia. This year has an injury in his right arm because of the DH rule coming in the National League. He's actually able to play and goes out and plays almost 100 games and puts up another really good season and then is absolutely locked in in the playoffs, hitting big home run after big home run. Uh, But... Like MLB hasn't made people that aren't Phillies fans care about that in just the way they've marketed players over my lifetime. Anyway, I mean, if you take a picture of Mike Trout on this, um, do a Billy on the street with Mike Trout, is anyone going to be able to tell you who he is if you hold up this picture? And I think it's part of the nature of just the, the shift that baseball has taken in the public consciousness to your point, not being the NFL, but does it have to be the way that it is? I don't know. I'm enjoying the playoffs for, for what they are and what they've been. They've been very entertaining. I mean, you got a game where the Phillies are hitting home run after home run after home run to beat the Astros. And then the next game they get no hit. I mean, this it's been from a narrative and storyline perspective, very entertaining. Uh, does it matter that most of the country doesn't care? And I'm assuming I haven't seen the ratings yet. I'm assuming a, Eagles uh, Texans game last night on Thursday night football on Amazon kicked last night's world series games ass in the ratings, but I don't know when, when does it get to the point where it matters? Who knows? I also like we talked to how major league baseball has marketed players. There's essentially one player that they really marketed this year. <laughs> For obvious reasons, not for bad reasons, but everyone got to see Aaron Judge a lot. Uh, people watching like ESPN who did not want to see Aaron Judge were getting their programming interrupted to see Aaron Judge potentially hit home runs. And I guess that would have been the big win for, for Major League Baseball beyond just the Yankees in a general sense would have been if the Aaron Judge story had have kind of wrapped up this season with him absolutely crushing it in the playoffs and going to win. I think the other interesting case study, particularly when you talk about Mike Trout, then you think of, okay, what's the counter to that? Probably the generally best marketed player in baseball is Shohei Otani. And I feel that comes from the fact that he has an entire country interested in him. And the first wave of stories, I remember when I first came across Otani, it was all about like the Japanese phenomenon around him. It's like, that is not, it's not the marketing that's been driven by MLB. It's coming from something much greater than that. And it becomes a, a wider kind of story in the realm of sports and even beyond sports. Like, and he's also just, you know, incredibly likable and just about as skilled in every possible way as he could be, where he just kind of markets himself. Like someone like pitching ninja does more to market show. Atani than Adam, major league baseball do. He's also got Ben Verlander, so uh, oh, I'm not one man. I'm not going near that one. One man marketing uh, machine for Shohei, but yeah, I think those are the two guys this year that really um, were put into the public consciousness. And 
for better or for worse, it really worked with Judge. I mean, is it people college football fans are like, why, why do I have to watch this <laughs> baseball game right now? Um, and then Shohei, like you said, just an absolute like superhuman pitching and hitting as well as he does. It's naturally going to uh, be something that takes hold. And to your point, to uh, have just a, a whole country uh, behind that aspect of it as well. Um, like he is, is he... he is Giannis of of yeah. MLB. Like, and I don't think that it's not like it gets completely undersold. But I still don't think that that story gets told in a way that is quite kind of like for like with Giannis. I think it, I think it's it's huge, obviously, just because of the type of player he is, two way player. That's not a thing that happens. But I think there, I'm trying to think of. I don't think there has been a Japanese player that has reached the elite level of of play since Ichiro retired, uh, who mm-hmm. obviously he was for many years. This guy's going to be a Hall of Famer, one of the best players uh, of all time. And there was kind of a gap in having that next superstar from Japan, and then Shohei just becomes that. I guess you Darvish is it, as close as we'll get there because he's you know an elite ace pitcher, but then you have a guy come along that is Babe Ruth, <laughs> basically. I mean, it's, it's hard to ignore. Yeah, and even the fact that Japan is a country that, like, the reality of baseball is you're dealing with a smaller pool of countries who are just completely crazy for your sport. And Japan is a country that loves baseball. So the weight for them would have been felt pretty profoundly. It feels like there's even more to the story time. Like, he can't wear that one out, particularly when Shohei comes across as a very likable guy. I guess the biggest problem with trying to market show is the fact that the angels are terrible in spite of having him um so i guess what what can you do around that i'm sure they would love to have him in the playoffs but let's see it was a, a long way off right now brewers fans were not the angels <laughs> it takes some solace in that not wasting the careers of two of the two. all-time yeah. greats of the game <laughs> uh in other news, my brother knows me very well because he just sent me a YouTube link of Ron Shelton's Criterion uh, Closet picks. So, oh you know, wow, there you go. Some some post uh, some post podcast viewing. If you guys don't know, Ron Shelton, the uh, writer director of Bull Durham and other other films, um, other sports films, probably the greatest sports movie director of all time. Um, okay, mailbag, mailbag from a kelp four one three. What do you think? Uh, the Brewers will do with Colton. Which of the Nashville boys do you expect to have the biggest impact next year? Um, I don't know. I don't know what they'll do with Colton. I think uh, they don't pick up the option. I think the $10 million is probably a little bit more than they want to pay for uh, his services obviously had a really good year with the bat against right-handed pitching, um, but also had the worst defensive year of his career. If if they've talked themselves out of any kind of bounce back with the glove, I think that'll, that'll be a, a tough sell for them. Um, so I think we've seen, and, and some of the conversations that I've heard Kurt Hogue, again, I'll reference him, have on that podcast I referenced before, he seems to believe that that's the direction they'll go in, not reporting that or anything like that, not saying, yep, this is what's happening, but just speculation around feelings within the organization and kind of thoughts on the beat. Um, in terms of who I think is going to have the biggest uh, 
performance from Nashville. Uh, These answers might tough. be related. I mean, they might have to be related. Yeah, they might, but I'm, I'm still going Freelich. I mean, just the, the contact skills he showed over the course of last season, I think would just be vital for this lineup. So I think in May, June, where, whenever he gets up, I, I think if he can, you know, be like a 280, 330 hitter and can be consistently on base at the probably the bottom of the lineup based on, you know, where they'll tend to put rookies early in their tenure could be really important in uh, up-leveling this offense. Um, so I'll say Freelich. Mitchell's also another guy that, you know, we want to see what he can do over a full-season sample. So he, I, I don't know if we're counting him on, and the Nashville guy since he spent the last part of the season with the Brewers. But those two would be uh, on my list. Terang's a possibility uh, if he get, does slot into that second-base job full-time if they don't bring Colton back. Um, could possibly just be a could be the Jace Peterson replacement as well, playing a lot of different positions. As last year, they really looked to get him reps as a utility man. Those would be the three that are really on my mind to make the biggest impact. And I guess for one kelp, but if you listen to our Arctic Monkeys episode from last uh, night, where we were discussing uh, lists of songs, I always added more to the to the question. Andrew that. cheats. That's what he's that's what he's getting out there. It's like, can you give me one, Andrew? Like number four. Um, that's the thing with Colton is I do agree that's definitely a little on the rich side based on where it seems like he's at and what you'd imagine the Brewers would want to do. But if that's the decision you're making, you either have to think like Bryce Terang is really ready and you like the configuration you're going to have your infield with him stepping in kind of pretty much from the jump. Or you've got to feel confident about going and I think ideally finding a good third baseman and moving Arias to second base. My, my wonder about starting the season is if they're going to try and get Chase Peterson back on a very cheap deal and go into the I'm year with that. him start him starting at third, obviously started the year. Great. Last year had the, had a power surge at the beginning of the year and had his best defensive season of his career at third base. And then Arias at second, that's an option, and if they feel like Tarang's not ready, there are also th- third basemen on the market, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So I think there, I think there are things that they can talk themselves into, and you know their whole thing is going to be resource allocation and how are we spending our money the most efficiently. And I don't know. I personally, I'm. I'm torn on what to do about Colton just because he was so good against right-handed pitching with the bat last year and just like removing that from your lineup for an unknown or obviously Jace did not look great in the second half of the season, but he was recovering from an injury or was he even recovered from the injury? I guess is the better question with that. So I'm torn on it, but I just, what, what, would, on... what would you do rather? Cause the question is what do we think the brewers would do, but what would you do? And even if like if you if you decided okay let's not take up the option on Colton let's move on from Colton are you then of the opinion like they must if they, again this is we're putting you into the hot seat sorry Matt Arnold Andrew Snyder is now the general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers 
Um, how long he'd keep that job through potentially fighting with ownership or rights to be seen. But for, at least right now, you're the general manager of the Brewers. So if you're moving on from Colton, are you like, okay, I have to get either a proven starting third baseman or second baseman? Or are you open to, okay, well, it's Bryce Tarang time. Like, where would you fall down if you had your say? Uh, I'd probably look to... I would probably not pick up the option plan on Luis Arias being my starting second baseman and then look to trade for a third baseman or sign a guy like Brandon Drury. That would probably be my my line of thinking. And then Bryce Terang is the Swiss Army knife off the bench that can step into a lot of different positions. That's probably had how I'd go with it. Okay. I agree with that. I think that's almost exactly what I try to do. And you don't with they have a lot of really promising prospects that I think we'd like to see them turn the keys over to. I think there's a certain level where you don't want to, you want to guard against these guys kind of being thrown into the deep end and drowning very early yep. in the season um, where it's not a problem. If Tarang is around the brewers and actually a factor early in the year, but you don't want it to be, Oh, he has to play. He is, like an everyday starter already that's not going to serve him or the team necessarily all that well or if there's just a little bit of flexibility like maybe he comes out and he earns that with his play and then all's well and good but yeah i think some some care in how you introduce those guys is still important as much as we feel like yeah there is going to be a whole wave of them who are kind of transitioned into being full-time brewers over the next year um, from at Logan I-54, what was your favorite moment of your inaugural season? I think I can guess yours. I'd be shocked if yours isn't as predictable as it seems. I I mean, that's up there. Um, <laughs> Keston Heroes walk-off against the Braves was a pretty great moment. I enjoyed that. I really loved Mike Rosso's homer off the Cubs for the story that was, that was. Guy that grew up a Cubs fan in Indiana, I believe, and then you know, hits a homer that ends up winning a game in Wrigley. That's very cool. There's got to be a pitching moment on there from Woody or Burns that that really um, is not coming to me right now. But yeah, those two moments were awesome. Uh, Rowdy Flez is uh, breaking the RBI or tying the RBI record was awesome as well. So I think those three collection of moments. There's something I'm definitely forgetting that someone will remind me in the Discord, and I'll I'll slap myself then. I think some of the most electric pick pitching, like for to go for standout pitching moments, came from Josh Hader early in the season. Like I think that's that's probably part of why they're not coming to mind is because we're probably trying to bury them to just save ourselves yeah. from some of the pain. But trauma the, pushing off. <laughs> yeah, that is some of the most impressive stuff we saw. I mean, it's not like that Corbin and Woody didn't have great games where they went eight innings and were completely locked in, both guys that's kind of less of a moment than it is something that kind of just stands out as, I don't know, a really good overall performance. That's even underselling it. Um, yeah, the, obviously walk-offs are up there. Caratini deserves a shout-out for yes. you know, a very <laughs> up-and-down season. Victor Caratini became the walk-off king for a spell. Um, it just became very reliable in the clutch. I don't think his numbers over the course of the season would show that to be the case. But he was on multiple occasions when it really mattered. So um, he certainly gave us some good memories. I lean Rowdy's 
uh, franchise RBI tying game. Uh, Rowdy is my guy. People listen know that. But I, I think also part of that and part for me in my first season watching baseball and more specifically watching it through the lens of the Milwaukee Brewers is um, offensive explosions like that from an individual player are very exciting. And we did not see a whole bunch of them. Um, I like Colton Wong, his multi-homer game later in the season, that was pretty exciting too. The stakes were different that it didn't kind of add up in the same way. Um, but there is something electrifying and I think pretty rare about when a guy just gets so hot with the bat that he's kind of dominating the game and you're just, you're waiting for the order to just cycle around again, turn over to get that guy back there. And it's like, well, is he going to do it again? And on on the occasions when, yes, someone actually can just stay dialed in like that, I think it's a really, really fun spectacle to watch. So Rowdy tying the franchise RBI record is probably my favorite. I have one more. I know we're going long, but I'll, I want to get this out of the way as well. Uh, there's a game in June against the Padres, down 4-1 in the night. They come back and win it 5-4 on a clutch walk-off single. That was great. A lot of, a lot of that damage. I can't remember if it was all the damage coming off of Taylor Rogers, ironically. Yes. Uh, um, <laughs> but I, that was a game I, I was going to hang out with a friend in Charleston, South Carolina. So I had a long drive ahead of me. I'm listening to the game on the radio. I get to my hotel room in like the eighth and then, you know, writing this off as a loss. And then just like the jubilation that I was filled with uh, after that Kutch walk-off single, you know, we've talked a lot about Kutch being representative of the Brewers off season failure to spend money last year and he had an up and down season and overall um you know coming towards the end of his career production was probably what you should have expected it to be that was i think coming on the heels of a big slump for him and him missing time being on the covid list and he has that cathartic walk-off single um and just like embraces the the fans which was kind of a cool moment and in a season that would take a a turn for the worse a little bit later I think of another Kutch moment that I liked actually quite a lot, and I remember asking you about it at the time, is that something I'm going to see very often? And that was his lead-off first pitch homer against the Pirates ah, yes. early in the season, which I think is just like undeniably cool as a play to just be like, oh, okay, the game started. Oh, that's a home run. I I think that's a, a pretty fun play anytime you can see that happen. But yeah, some good moments. Um, From Aki Keskin, who are some of your favorite free agent targets for the Brewers? Here are mine listed in order of spot track market value. So key to this is Brandon Nemo, Josh Bell, Brandon Bell, Zach Eflin, uh, Mike Zanino, Jose Abreu, right? That's I'm right yep. on that. Uh, Joey Gallo, Brandon Jury, Joey Wendell, Christian Vasquez, Trevor Williams, Archie Bradley. So for me, I've I've named Brandon Drury, obviously. Uh, some people have concerns about whether like this first half in Cincinnati was the peak of his career and it's only going to go downhill from there. He's only 30. So I I'm not necessarily writing him off there. So I know jury wasn't on the list, but he's one of mine. If they don't pick up the Colton option and it seems like Arias is going to move to second base. He was on Jose... Keith's list, by the way. Oh, he was my bad. Um, Brandon Nimmo is, and Joey Gallows of the world. I'm not necessarily interested in because I think, the outfield is going to be crowded with guys coming up from Nashville. Obviously you've got Yelich in left uh, Renfro uh, in, in right, whether or not they trade him remains to be seen. 
Abreu is an interesting one. He would obviously come in to be a DH, and he's older. Um, but I don't think this would be a McCutcheon situation because I think he's still got something in the tank, and he's really reliable. 157 games this year, 152 last year, played all the games in the COVID season, 159 games in 2019. Uh, the one concern, concerning thing about him is the, the power drop-off this year. His his slugging dipped from 481 in 2021 to 446. Home runs cut in half from 30 to 15. But he had a 378 OBP and a 304 average for a lineup that needs guys to get on base. Um, so him slotted into that DH role is intriguing if they can get him for a low number of years. Obviously, obviously you don't want to tie him into a big contract. Um, every time I think about what is the possible like free agent signing the Brewers can make, because obviously now a lot has changed since then, but the Stern's press conference at the end of the regular season seemed to indicate, you know, free agency and trades for the pitching staff and the bullpen, but not necessarily the lineup because we got guys in Nashville that are ready to go. So every time I think if there is a signing the Brewers can make, what am I envisioning? It's always the DH role and the two names that always come to my mind because they, they fit, they fit the cut from last year narrative in the same way, but I think would have better production. And now Brian Anderson might be mad at me for this, um, but J- J.D. Mar- J.D. Martinez is another name. Abreu and Martinez are the two things that pop in my brain when I think if the Brewers were to actually make a signing for the lineup, it'd be one of those guys. Brandon Drury is the answer to me from, obviously we actually saw quite a bit of him this season. Um, and also we talked about him a lot around the deadline when he was one of the notable guys. And it's like, yeah, Brewers could do that. And along with most of their Brewers targets, uh, they just seem to go to the Padres. Well, the Padres also, you know, decide to participate in the trade that ruins the Brewers season. Um, that's, I still lean third base is the position that I, I would really like to see them make a move. I, I know there is talk about, well, what are the Brewers going to see with Rowdy? How are they going to work out that situation? Could this be a sell-high moment? Um, Look, maybe a deal comes around where that makes sense. I think there is a pathway, though, where that creates another significant hole in your offense and in your lineup that you don't need because really you should be trying to plug some of the gaps that are there in the first place. And I, I think we talked a lot about Luis Arias looking more comfortable at second base and feeling like that's where his future should probably be. So I think in kind of with Colton, regardless really of what they were going to decide, you're at a point where you've got you've to kind of make those tough decisions and focus on retooling. That's not necessarily the move that gives you, oh, our future is sort of that position. But I think it it moves guys around. Like I think getting Luis Arias to second base and being like, okay, let's see what you can do there and how that works out will be something I'd like to see a lot. So third base is the position. I think most of all, where right now it's, it's also like Terang can be a utility infielder, but he is not a third baseman and he's not necessarily exactly what you want there. It's that's the position where I kind of have my eye of whether it's via trade or free agency. I'd like to see him address it. I, I failed to mention this, but I could see this on a one-year deal, and I don't necessarily want this because I think there has been a drop-off in performance year over year for this player. But on a one-year deal, I could see them doing something like uh, 
signing Justin Turner if uh, he doesn't return to the Dodgers. It's so I'm always just old guys on one year deals or what I'm expecting is, is basically uh, uh, the takeaway here. But I I agree, finding a solution at third base would just uh, would be huge. Uh, from Ty Windish. Who's your preferred Hunter Renfro level addition via trader free agency? B could a could be a player archetype or a specific guy, but basically a realistic option for him to go get. In opening up the trade kind of level, that is there anyone different to what we've talked about that you kind of have your eye on in that Renfro esque kind of level? I just don't have a sense right now for what position players are available. So I would say something in the bullpen, maybe because that's something they're going to need to. Uh, add to. Um, I'm assuming Taylor Rogers is is not coming back. I think that's something oh, that God, I hope not. I, I think that's something that's that's safe to say. So a guy like uh, uh, Logan mentioned in the Discord a few weeks ago, a guy like Scott Barlow from the Royals, who's a really good uh, back end of the bullpen reliever, and then you you go into something like that where you've got maybe one or two relievers from outside the organization, Streslecki, Milner, uh, Devin, Matt Bush, as like your core guys there, and then see where you go. I think that'd be good. But in terms of position players, um, no, nothing's really springing to, to mind. Uh, if the Rockies, <laughs> if the Brewers were a team that added payroll, uh, maybe you could be like, hey, Colorado Rockies, you guys messed up on that Chris Bryant deal. We'll, ta- we'll take him off your hands and we'll take a big swing. That's not going to happen and probably shouldn't happen because there's a lot of uncertainty around him and what the rest of his career looks like after really a, a lost season for him in Colorado. But yeah, uh, a reliever like Scott Barlow, someone – someone like that um if there's a third baseman that uh that i'm not remembering uh feel free to to let me know and you know oh 42 games last year chris bryant hit 306 376 475 um and you know he's on an insane contract but you know scared money doesn't make any money And lastly, from Rowan Cuddy, what's the realistic part for the Brewers to be back in contention next season? The pitching bounces back. You have fewer injuries in the rotation. You have fewer blowups in the bullpen. And the offense is just good enough to where the elite pitching carries you, I think, because there's not going to be any major additions. But also, another option is the Pitching bounces back a little bit, not all the way to the elite levels of 2021, but we see a Willie Adamas uptick in the on-base percentage, but the power stays. Um, Rowdy uh, consistently stays kind of where he's at. Luis Arias bounces back from the injuries uh, that sapped his power this past season they get more production out of the catching position whether that's going out and acquiring a guy like christian vasquez uh wilson Contreras is on the market i don't know if uh, anyone noticed that as well and then the guys from nashville um just provide more production than like mccutcheon or tyrone taylor did last year and that sort of thing yeah i think the part to them bouncing back is not all that complicated um, but what is the goal here? Like, do we want to see them bounce back and be a wild card team and lose in the wild card? Like, that is the funny thing for me. I think where I'm at too, and my early baseball fandom, 
I, I would not feel anything is achieved by getting to the wildcard game and losing. And oh, we made the playoffs. Well, yeah, it was over in like four days. Great. Um, I, th- I think the goal should be loftier than that. And for that to happen, I think Willie Adams has to make a significant leap. I think you've got to really get something from the prospects coming up. Um, maybe have a couple of those guys really hit the ground running and make an impact. It doesn't mean they have to be like starter level, level players, but in a way that's similar and probably a little bit beyond what Garrett Mitchell was able to do, where he comes up and he just kind of adds a little bit of juice to what's happening. I think that would be welcome. But yeah, a healthy season would go a long way to helping them. And how about let's just not make the team worse with transactions? That would be a good start too. Let's not actively destroy anything good that's going um, and live to regret it. All right, that does it. That's it for the mailbag. That's it for this episode. We'll be back next week when we will start a more kind of individual player-by-player review of the 2022 Milwaukee Brewers season. And we'll go kind of position group by position group. So we'll start with starting pitchers, I think. Makes sense to break up starting pitchers and bullpen. So next week, we'll appraise the seasons of the Brewers starting pitchers and we'll work our way across the entire roster from there. There'll be plenty more off-season talk coming, more focus on free agents and trades and ways that the Brewers can improve their roster. So to make sure you never miss an episode, go subscribe wherever you get your podcast. cruising for a bruising. Uh, we're pretty much everywhere. If you go to gspn.info, you can get all the details on all things Eurostep Podcast Network there. can also lead you to the main Eurostep Podcast Network feed, home to all things Milwaukee books. That includes Win and Six, myself and Jordan Tresky, and the Eurostep with Ty Winders and Ron Cuddy. Numak and Jordan and Ty frequently and me occasionally when the Packers are guaranteed to lose um, are all working our way through this challenging Green Bay Packers season on Talk of the Tundra. Andrew, I think we need to get you in there to join in some suffering. Rowan got on. He made his debut last week. Uh, maybe you the fact that you would suffer less, although it's debatable from watching Packers games at the moment. Um, <laughs> you can't you could... suffer because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then also, without having any emotional investment, some of these games are, are tough watches. I don't know. We need to, we need to get you in there. Uh, also, make time for this. Andrew alluded to it earlier. Uh, most recent episode, myself, Andrew, and Jordan Tresky talked about the new Arctic Monkeys album, The Car, and kind of Arctic Monkeys' career more generally. We'll have movie talk early next week, myself and Andrew. I think we're going to talk about a TV show with a larger collection of the GSPN crew later next week. So all kinds of good stuff happening next time for this too. We're, we're on top of everything. All things covered. Um, until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. I'm at Adam McGee 11 Andrew's at AC Snide. We're on Twitter at Brewers GSPN. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.